square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome, friends, once again to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Your host, Steve Fielder, here on a hot and sweltery day in the state of Florida. I hope where you are, across the fruited plain, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, uh, that you're enjoying a little cooler temperatures as we wind now. Uh, we've, we've gone through the month of July and into August here in the deep south. August and September are our hottest months, so... We can't be thinking too much about fall yet, but I know with Autumn Oaks coming up before long, it was always a kind of a treat to me as we left Richmond, Indiana and headed back north toward Michigan. You could just about feel a little bit of that fall in the air. There was a little bit of change in the atmosphere, uh, no leaves changing yet, but uh, you knew it wasn't going to be all that, that far. Uh, down the road. Today, I'm really pleased to be able to have just a good, uh, I guess, friendly is a word to use (laughs) because our guest is my friend, but I'm looking forward to just a nice conversation with a guy that I met a few years ago, and I've had the pleasure of hunting with him and talking with him over, over the years. And he lives up in what I call the Coon Zoo of, of Indiana, and we're going to talk uh, about a lot of subjects today uh, related to coon hunting, other types of hunting, uh, what it's like in the area where he hunts, and talk about some things uh, that uh, are facing our sport. So anyway, I'm going to shut up and introduce you to my good buddy Troy Hoffman, from Winnemac, Indiana. How are you doing, Troy? Well, pretty good. Hanging in there, huh? Yeah. You having a good summer up there in the cornfields? Yeah. We've been doing pretty nice. It's been pretty dry, but it's getting along. Yeah, it's been a dry year up that way, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, you're, uh, is farming your primary occupation? I, I work, a, I'm a run heavy equipment for my main job and then okay. farm the the family farm which we got about 500 acres yet we farm. i guess well that'll keep you busy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well i guess i didn't hadn't really talked to you about your uh, heavy equipment uh experience um coon hunter over around uh columbia city indiana that i've known for many years and you perhaps know him too Brian Ruckman, he's been on the podcast before, and people will remember Brian is uh, winning the 1985 UKC World Hunt with a dog called Beaver Lake Magic, and he was also the Purina winner that year. Well, that's what Brian did. He was a heavy equipment uh, operator but and a farmer, and uh, so I think he's retired from the, from the bulldozer now and... Uh, is uh, helping his boy farm their property. So, uh, do you know Brian at all? I, I, I've heard the name, but I don't know him. Okay. Nope. Well, now you are, tell me geographically where you are there in Indiana. I guess you would call it what, North Central, maybe? Or? I'd call it Northwest. Okay. Okay. Probably about a, I'm about an hour north of Lafayette. 
Okay, yeah. Well, I've talked with Bruce Jansen on the podcast, and most coon hunters know Bruce, and he's from down there in Lafayette. So, uh, yeah, I kind of got an idea. Uh, I used to travel, of course, out of Michigan, and uh, ended up traveling all over the state of Indiana. I think in my book I listed there were 55 different towns where I had held or attended coonhound events in the state of Indiana. But uh, I don't think I've been to Winnemac. Uh, I have been to Monticello, and you're pretty close to that, aren't you? Yeah, it's probably like I'm probably 15, 15 minutes or so north of Monticello. I got you. Well, uh, my buddy Keston Jesse and I have a pup that's uh, over there with the Cobal boys who have a training uh, facility, a training pen, a pup pen, I guess you would say. Uh, our frogger and uh, Lone Pine Jillian pup is over there uh, getting a little uh, summer camp, I guess you call it. Probably sent her up there at the worst time of year. It's been hot and dry, and we've had bright moon here lately, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing any coon hunting at all at this uh, time of year? On the cool evenings, we, we've been trying to hunt the whole two, two nights a week, probably three nights if it's a real nice out, but usually on the weekend, both nights, unless it's really hot. Yeah, well, when I lived in Michigan, of course, I was a younger man, <laughs> and I plot days traditionally for me that was kind of like my world hunt because it was really the only hunt that I could uh, enter when I was with UKC. I wasn't permitted to hunt in the hunts when the UKC license hunts, but we always had an all plot hunt on Thursday night at plot day. So I tried to get a dog ready for that every year and would be hunting through the month of July. And it was always pretty warm up there. And you have very many mosquitoes. Uh, this year we haven't had. It's been it's been been so dry that uh, not many hatched out. We went one night. We hunted by a swamp, and they about carried us off. But for the most part, it hasn't been too bad. Well, that's good. It, that's a big problem down here in the swamps. In the south, <laughs> I might have mentioned uh, one night my buddy uh, Mac Brett and I had gone out on a night hunt, and he was handling my dog, and I just stepped out of the the truck while uh, the guys were getting ready, getting collared up, and getting ready to begin the cast, and I thought the mosquitoes were going to carry me away, <laughs> and I got back in the truck as quickly as I could, and course i follow along you know on the garmin to see where the dogs are and so forth man i must have killed 50 mosquitoes in that truck it took <laughs> me forever to kill all i hate those darn things uh, i don't think anybody is i've ever heard say anything good about a mosquito well, have you? don't know what they're good for <laughs> that's for sure well all right, so you grew up on a farm right there where you live now, right? Yep, yep. What was life like for a farm kid there? How uh, old are you now, Troy? I'm uh, 45. 45, man. You, you're you just a young man, but uh, 
But they, my dad told me when you get to be 50, Steve, that's when the years are really going to start to move quicker. Do you find in that yet? It's a, it seems like they already are. You know? <laughs> already are. So you grew up there. How far from town were you? Uh, we're probably 15 miles or so from town. Oh, okay. So you are a kind of out a country boy then, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, your farm, uh, row crops, uh, grain. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We've always had uh, mostly corn and soybeans, and then uh, wheat, a little bit of wheat every year. And uh, for oh, up till my whole life, till about probably ten years, we always ran the the cow calf our little operation too. And we just that kind of fizzled out a few years ago, and so uh, we're just just grain farmers. I gotcha. Well, that means if you're working a day job, you're doing a lot of work. Uh, well, when it's uh, planting time and harvest time, you're doing a lot of work after, after hours. Yeah, aren't you? keep this, keep me busy for a while in the spring <laughs> and fall. Yeah. Well, now I know that you're a hunter. You like to hunt about everything, I think. But uh, what do you hunt besides coons? Oh, well, we do a lot of turkey hunting and deer hunting. Uh, it's pretty pretty popular around here. We do it pretty for a lot, and uh, have killed some real real good bucks the last few years. So, uh, well, I know uh, this last year um, you were right after this one, right up to the, about the end of the season, weren't you? Yeah, I see him and see him in bow season, and then never seen him for quite a while, and then I got him there in in the gun season finally. <laughs> How, did you measure him? Uh, how how big was he? Or, or he, he was he like grossed in the one eighties for uh, for like eleven point typical. That's uh, a nice deer, Troy. Oh, yeah, it's the nicest one I've ever gotten. So. <laughs> so you you worked him during the bow season, and then finally got him in gun season. Huh? No, yeah. Could you have had a shot with the bow? Uh, Never. On him? Never in range. Yeah. No. And, yeah. and then when I did shoot him with a gun, he wouldn't have been in bow range either. I got you. Well, my dad had a saying, and of course, he wasn't real fond of bow hunters, and I'll tell you why. His dad was old school, and he had a couple instances where guys would get into his bear dog's tree and shoot the bear with a bow and cripple it. And the, bow, and the bear would get down. Dogs would get injured, the bear would get away, dogs would be strung out all over the place. This is before the years of the tracking collars. So, <laughs> I mean, Dad was a peaceable man. He didn't want trouble with anybody. But he used to say, when somebody would say they're a bow hunter, he'd say, don't you know when the Indian got a gun, he threw his bow away? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've never been a deer hunter. I well, I have hunted, but I couldn't be called a deer hunter in any way. But uh, I do admire those nice bucks that you guys get out there, and I do like that back strap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you also do some coyote hunting, right? Yeah, I used to. Uh, we had just out of high school. We we never had many coyotes when we were. Just about high school when we just had fox before that we hunted some and then the coyotes really really came in here and we've hunted them for the last probably thirty years pretty hard and it's just 
a few years, the little group we had, we'd kill, you know, up to 80, 90 or so. And, yeah. Uh, and, and here in the last couple of years, been a lot of guys trapping and the, the thermal, thermal imaging guys are hunting a lot. And it's really, you, you just, the really population is really under control now, it seems like, really went down. So I see. So you're getting more people doing uh, predator hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. I think a lot of guys deer hunting or shooting them, and it's just, it's, uh, there's not near as many as there was 10 years ago. I know that. Well, I got you. I know when I was in Michigan coon hunting, you know, my I had an older gentleman there that I met when I went up there, Bud Bauer, uh, and he told me, you know, that the coyotes, when the coyotes started coming in, he could remember when the possums came in to southern Michigan. And, uh, but anyway, I was out one night and I've told this story, uh, listening to dogs, cold trail in a swamp, a low place there. And I was up on the hill. I heard six different packs of coyotes at one time. Uh, one started over here to the east and another one over to the west. And first thing you know, there were six different packs of them talking to me at the same time i don't know if they're that plentiful up there now or not well there's still quite a few but it just seems like they're harder to hunt we'll say that i gotcha yeah well now you ran uh, of course you hunted with dogs uh, Uh and i believe you told me you have a couple coyote dogs still around yeah i still got a couple uh, How are they, they were, bred? Um, they were they were. I had a real good uh, July female that I had for for years, and she was just a phenomenal track dog. And uh, we bred her with a with a plot that I don't real know much about, but it was a decent plot. But I don't know what his background was, and 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 them pups done real good. And we've probably line bred them for last fifteen or twenty years, and have done real well with them. So you're line breeding on that original cross. Have you reached out, say, like to a what is this running walker and plot? Oh, you said July, it, didn't you? It was a yeah. July yeah, and yeah, a yeah. July and a um, a plot. And yeah. we did like the the knee uncle a couple mm-hmm. times, and they've all they've turned out really well. And uh, yeah. a few of them I went had some buddies at bear hunt, and and they've been running them on bear and had great luck that way too and they they still got they probably got more of my blood than i got now i got you well you know uh, introducing running dog into the hounds is something that's become popular you know mike camp out in oregon has been very successful with breeding that way and uh several of the hunters back east are hunting uh, dogs, and I don't know exactly how he crosses them up. I, I'm certainly not an authority on those dogs. My friend Heath Hyatt has gotten some dogs out that way and been very pleased with them. I know that. But um, it seems that running dog, you know, puts the drive in them, doesn't it? Uh-huh. What do you think they pick up from the dogs that you have? Can you see any of the traits of the end of those individual breeds, or they kind of become their own. I, I think the the July kind of stuck with them just for the speed. They yeah. really could. They just they just had another gear. It seemed like for the most part. Yeah, yeah, I get that for sure. 
Well, I hate to hear that your coyote hunting is is kind of winding down, but uh, I want to talk to you in a little bit about landowner relations and how things like that are are going in your area. But I would imagine in some areas guys are encountering some difficulty, you know, because running a pack of dogs on a coyote, he's not going to stay on 50 acres, is he? Yeah, he seems like he goes where you don't supposed to be most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's for but, sure. Well, what about your turkey hunting? Do you do some of that? Oh yeah, we got just we got plenty of turkeys to shoot. We've uh, mm. we probably I think everybody, all of our family killed gobblers this year, so we had a had a good year. Yeah, well, that's like, good. In some parts of the country, I'm hearing guys talk about you know there's a decline in the turkeys. Uh, we are they're still i don't know if they're getting more but we still got a healthy population yeah well that's good that's my, good my, my my dad's 80 87 and he still got one this year so <laughs> that's great well i just uh in the podcast that's airing the week that you and i are talking i, ta- I spoke with my friend johnny brinkley here in florida and johnny's going to be 90 here in just a few days and it just uh it's so uh well frankly it's inspiring because i'm headed that way myself you know i'm uh, in the la- in my later 70s or latter 70s and that sneaks up on you real quick but to know that there's you know that the possibility that i'll be able to hunt you know, uh, a few more years is real important to me, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it is to anybody. But my dad made it to 88, and I think if he hadn't have gotten hip replacement surgery and had complications and and all with that, I think he probably would have lasted longer. But uh, that's great. I'm glad that your dad is still able to hunt. Did he care about the coon hunting at all? Yeah, he uh, he always... Growing up, he always, when I was a little guy, he, they coon hunted all the time. Yeah. And, uh, he, he's still, now and then, he'll ride in the truck and listen to the dogs. He don't get out and walk hardly. So was he your inspiration for coon hunting or, or your introduction to it? or? How yeah, I yeah. when we always, my whole life, we've had coon dogs. Uh, he uh, They were more just, they were always great dogs, you know, but that usually like a black and tan mix is what we grew up hunting. Yeah. That's interesting, Troy, because that's really what I started with, too. Uh, my da- dad was a pipe fitter and was working out around Paducah, Kentucky, and met a, a barber over in Charleston, Missouri, where we were, uh, lived across the river. And... Uh, he got some pups from uh, this fella and brought one back. He gave one to his brother in Tennessee, and he brought one back home to uh, West Virginia. And he was a black and tan colored hound, except that he had white in his chest and he had white on his feet. And we called him Sam. And uh, then my dad got another a black and tan cross, a female named Kate. And uh, those were pretty nice coon dogs, but then he got the plot fever. He got this uh, purebred plot female named June in 1954. And 
after that, he really didn't have any desire to hunt the gray dogs. You know, he he was a he got bit with the plot bug real early, and just stuck with them for his entire life. But uh, what has been your favorite breed over the years? Is the black dogs or what? I I've had a little bit of everything. Uh, probably the best dog by far I had was a. With a black and tan cross, was a a red tick, and he looked just like a red bone, and he was by far the best dog I ever had. Tell me a little bit about him. I'm, I'm, uh, he was, sounds uh, good. We named him Dago, and and his whole litter turned out well. But when he was, we took him out one night with the other dogs, and literally the first night we had him in the woods, he's like four months, five months old, and the little dog drove there running a track and. Off the other side, all once he just sat down and treed so purdy and walked over there and he had a coon right above him, you know, and just he just never, never looked back. There was no, no training him, nothing. He was just a all natural coon dog. They couldn't, mm. couldn't screw him up. Man, why can't they all be that easy? I know. <laughs> and if, 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 if he treated, it didn't matter how long it took you, he was, he was going to be there. He never. I don't think he left the tree hardly the whole time we had him. Well, what was your dad's prime motivation for coon hunting, do you think? I I would say more of just a hide hunter. Yeah. Uh, he liked he, to stretch he, the hides in the fall. Yeah, he, he bought he bought fur all of his life and uh Oh, okay. And uh, we always we always coon hunted and trapped and whatnot for muskrats and everything else and he just well, that's yeah, something, he, yeah, we didn't touch on. We'll get into that a little bit in a minute. But so, yeah, so he he really um, um, didn't care whether the dog was registered or purebred or or any of those things, right? No, he just, if it would, he just wanted a coon dog. He didn't, he never, never had a, as he always said, them papers never treat anything. <laughs> Yeah, well, for those of us who, you know, have been involved in paper dogs for all these years, we found a a way for those papers to mean something. But Mm -hmm. I get it. I get what he's saying. You know, you don't, you're not assured a better dog just because it has papers. Um, But uh, most of the older hunters back years ago, they hunted those what we call grade dogs, and I don't know where that term grade came from. Uh, well, they call them crossbreds or mixed breeds or whatever now, but there was a time, and you probably know this, Troy, or have heard it, that the night hunts had probably three or four to one more grade dogs than registered dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, but that was back in the early days of registration, you know, in the late 40s, early 50s, even up into the 60s. That, that's but, way before my time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I wish I could say that. But I find myself more and more uh, thinking, you know, I was born in 1946, and the night hunts, you know, came around in the early 50s. So I was, you know, Dad was getting full crying American Cooner, and I was reading the results of these hunts and reading the stories, you know, about when competition hunting got started. 
And uh, so it's just kind of in my DNA, you know, mm-hmm. it's always been there for me. But uh, so, uh, but you said your favorite dog was this red bone, I know, uh, English and black and tan cross that looked like a red bone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have passed for a red bone so easy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite breed now? Well, I've, I'm just kind of getting stuck on these plots. I'm a, I think I'm going to keep with them until I get some good ones. So. <laughs> that might be a, a long journey. Oh, <laughs> well, we'll see. You got some decent ones. We'll see. Yeah. Well, that can uh, go back to how uh, one of the first things I was going to talk to you about was how you and I met. And um, that was through um, a puppy, wasn't it? Yeah. I got a puppy off your hoss dog. Yeah, old Hoss. He was my buddy. Uh, you got to hunt with Hoss. You probably didn't get to see anything great out of him, but I think you didn't get to see enough to know that he would run in tree. Mm-hmm. But uh, Hoss traveled with me. I've got a truck set now here that's got almost 270,000 miles on it. And I would say that Hoss traveled at least half of those miles or maybe closer to 200,000 miles with me. Uh, You know, we'd go and and to trips. Anywhere I went, I took him along. And even when I lived in the cabin in North Carolina and I was getting out and trying to fish as many of those trout streams as I could, I'd always take hoss with me. You know, if I went fly fishing, hoss went along. And he loved to swim, and I'd have to kind of watch. Sometimes I'd have to keep him in the box, but I always checked on him regularly and let him out frequently, and he loved the water. And maybe that's why this grandson that we have of him now likes the water so much. <laughs> maybe he takes it uh, after his, his grandpa. But, uh, yeah, I I bred the old hoss dog, which I, I got hoss from Kevin Lund home up in Ohio there and and, uh, and uh, bred to a female that Amanda Alexander loaned me uh, and uh, raised that litter of puppies, and, and you said you wanted one of them. Did yep. you contact me about them, or did I reach out to you? I think uh, Bill, I think Bill Stearns uh, kind of talked me into getting a hold of you. Yeah, Bill Stearns is a, is a name that uh, of a guy that I know he, he was a good friend of yours, and I didn't get to know him very long, but the length of time that I did know him, I really enjoyed talking with Bill, and just a really great guy. And unfortunately, Bill... Uh, uh, has passed on not too long after you and I met, right? Yeah, probably the next year, I'd say, in, in Deer Season, he passed away. Yeah. And then his wife uh, kind of stayed involved with the National Plot Hound Association, was, was or maybe is still the secretary of the, of the association. What, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. She was still, I think last year, either vice president or secretary or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we don't have any guarantee, you know, but all we can do is 
hopefully when people remember us, they'll have a smile and say, you know, that was a, a, a nice fellow. And I can certainly say that about Bill. Now, did you and Bill coon hunt together some? Yeah, we hunted not a lot, but quite a bit. So he, he had some plots, and you must have seen something you liked there, maybe. Yeah, I really, I really like liked them, and uh, I thought, no, not many people have them around here. So it's kind of, kind of be a little different, I guess. Well, you certainly are being different if you're hunting a plot nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> the plots in the overall scheme of things in the registries are the fewest in number, even fewer than the red bones. Uh, and I think more bear hunters are hunting plots than coon hunters, or at least nowadays. But, uh, yeah, so we met. I Well, actually, I remember uh, I raised that litter of pups here in Florida, and there were uh, three males and three females. And uh, I uh, took a trip and delivered the pups of the people that had, had purchased them and uh, – and I ended up, you agreed to meet me there in Richmond where uh, Autumn Oaks was held. Wasn't that where we met? Yeah, yeah, that's where we met. Yeah, and you got a puppy that uh, my wife put ribbons on around all their necks when they were little. And so we could kind of keep track of them and all. And the one you got was definitely the smallest well, actually, she wasn't the smallest pup in the litter. We did lose the runt puppy, so there was uh, actually seven pups. But she was the smaller of the three females in the darker color, and we called her uh, just her her uh, uh, ribbon. <laughs> My wife called her magenta. <laughs> that's kind of a that's an unusual name for a coon dog. But uh, yeah, and but you changed her name to Piper. Yeah, yeah. You still have Piper, don't you? Yes, yeah, still do. Yep. Yeah. How old are those pups now? I bet there's. I'm gonna guess six, maybe. Yeah, I would guess so. That's probably about right. Yeah. Uh, well, I kept one we called Dancer, and then. Uh, uh, the listeners have heard the story of Dancer, how uh, I kept her, sent her to a training pen in North in uh, Mississippi. Uh, UK's Winter Classic was held there. Tony Beals came down from Michigan. He wanted to take her back to Michigan and run her on Coon. Uh, I agreed to do that. Tony and I became partners, uh, and um, one thing led to another, and unfortunately, Tony got sick and um, like Bill has has since passed on but before he uh, did pass away he told me that he needed to find somebody to take dancer and Bill Scheninger in in Ohio who you know and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, decided that he would like to have her and so we worked that out and then when Bill uh, had her there. He decided to breed her to his Lazarus dog, and uh, that's where this puppy that Mark Miller and I are hunting called Fever came from. Now, your dog, Piper, has not been bred yet, right? Nope, she has not. Right. right. 
Well, I'm kind of hoping that we might be able to work something out along that way because we're kind of excited about this pup that we've got here, although yes. we're not we're not uh, interested in breeding him right away. I mean, we're certainly not going to advertise him at stud, mm-hmm. but uh, you and I need to get our heads together on that. Yeah, maybe. Get something figured out, maybe. <laughs> That's right. Well, Piper is, is a plot female. And uh, did she start out fairly early? How, how she, did she she started out pretty slow? She she'd run track pretty good and then get the tree and just didn't want a tree for shoot. I bet she was a year and a half old before she'd do much treeing. Yeah, and well, uh, and never really treed extremely hard. She just treed enough to tree basically. Yeah, she's not a hard tree dog then. Uh uh-uh. uh. Right. Nope. But she stays treed when she does get treated, yeah. I hope. <laughs> yeah. it, now, in the summertime, she don't like – she she ain't a big fan of hunting in the summer. The, the colder yeah. the weather, she hunts a lot better for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Just a, a good little pleasure dog, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's certainly something to be said about those dogs, too. Well, you then decided, I guess, to go over and, and get a pup out of Lazarus, kind of, didn't you? Yeah, I got one out here. He's about a about a year old. He's, okay, he's gonna make my hair go gray here pretty quick. <laughs> well, pups will do that. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, I tell you what, we're we've been. You know, I picked up a. Well, I shouldn't put it that way. Keston, a young man over in Virginia, and I become friends and. Uh, uh, kind of partner on a pup, and we got her, uh, our our female. She's coming a year old, and she's up there with Jordan Coble, not far from you. And she spent a week in the, uh, a month in his puppy pen, and now she's been about two weeks or so uh, being hunted on the outside. And she's uh, running tracks and goes hunting good, but she hadn't found that park but, uh, lever yet either. So. Uh, we're hopeful. <laughs> That's about all I can say at this point. Uh, do you prefer to hunt with pups or started dogs, or what do you prefer? I've always had as much fun training a pup than, than hunting them. I about always have gotten pups. I've got a few older dogs over the years, but for the most part, I like getting pups. Yeah. Well, there's certainly uh, something to be said about raising one the way you want it to be, you know, mm-hmm. how you want it to handle, uh, you know, bonds with it. It's, it's a known fact. These dogs like you. They're going to they're gonna try to perform for you. Now, I know that there's some competition hunters out there, if they're listening, are rolling their eyes right now and saying, <laughs> you know, no, you got to you got to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with them. If there's anything that you don't like, you got to, you know, correct that right now and get it done. And, and I can't argue with their success, you know. Uh, are you still with me, Troy? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the phone made a weird sound there. But uh, but I like to bond with a pup. I like to to. You know, the hoss dog I had, he was so much fun. You know, he, I taught him a lot of tricks 
when he or or just mainly obedience commands mm-hmm. when he was young and just enjoyed that and other people enjoyed seeing him go through that routine and I'd take him to the school where uh, my wife taught and and uh, and the kids loved to watch him go through his paces and all and meet yeah. meet the kids you know so. Yeah. Had him trained more like a lab than anything, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was he was trained like a lab and and that was more on him than me. I'd never trained a lab. <laughs> but uh yeah, I just saw right away with him that he was a dog you could show him something once or twice and he had it, you know. Mm-hmm. He he retained it. And of course he loved those uh uh peanut butter dog biscuits, old Roy brand from Walmart. <laughs> That was his treat. Well, what do you, when you start a puppy, uh, do you have a little regimen you go through with them, or you just kind of, you know, is, is do you have a, a plan usually? Oh, I just try to get them out as much as I can when they're really little. Um, you know, just getting used to getting in the dark or running around anytime I'm outside doing something. I let them play around as much as they can. and. and then usually I'll show them a, maybe a hide once or twice or one in a cage coon once or twice. And after that, they better better be able to figure out their self. I got you. Well, I remember as you would send me little video clips and things of Piper when she was young. And I think that's basically what you were doing. Of course, living in the country, uh, are you allowed? I'm not allowed, but is it uh, feasible to let puppies run loose where you live? No, I no no I couldn't. I they'd get ran over here. Probably. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's always been. Uh, I know. Rand, I speak about Randy Smith a lot from up Pennsylvania, but he lives out in the country, and he's got a little Jack Russell terrier terrier named Dora, and she takes the pups out exploring. You know, mm-hmm. and he's got some woods nearby, and. No busy roads, you know. I think he may have lost a pup or two over the years on the road, but he says he normally leaves them out until they start getting in trouble, you know. The, <laughs> the neighbors start calling and saying their your pups are down here, well, you know. And, but, uh, well, I, I guess I've always felt that way too, Troy, is just give them a chance to, to the let the breeding come out, mm-hmm. give them opportunities, you know, yeah. so that when they're ready, they they can go right ahead. Now, do you take a young pup out by himself, any, and just walk around those edges, uh, right around the cornfields if it's that time of year, or what? What, what do yeah, you do? Yeah, I, I I'd rather hunt them by themselves. Just seems like if they. If they figure out, they figure out, and then if they don't, then I'll take them with an older dog, you know, to get it, you know, the track with them or whatever. But yeah, now I think when Piper was young, you had a pretty good walker dog, didn't you? Yeah, I had a, had a real good uh, walker dog then. Yeah, what happened to him? He he did he got old. He I was, see. He was getting up there and finally passed away. Was he a registered dog? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember his breeding at all? Uh, he went back to Socket Junior pretty quick. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I got you. I got you. Well, I wanted to talk to you just a little. Uh, 
we've gotten about 40 minutes in already, and I know when we first talked about this, you said you'd uh, consent to doing a a short piece, but (laughs) I'm going to try to squeeze about an hour out of you unless unless you've got to go. No, we're fine. Well, you know, we sometimes joke around about – people that live in a part of the country where you live is being in a coon zoo. And the other day I was talking to you and you told me about a hunt that or two that you'd taken early in the week. And what'd you tell me? You saw like 20 coons? Yeah, we, we hit, I think, two little woods and a fence row and treed like two or three litters and seen others. And we, we probably seen close to 20 coon in two hours. <laughs> well, on that subject, do you, since, you know, I'm sure there aren't as many coon hunters around there as there used to be. Is that right? Yes. It's, numbers have really went down. Yeah. Do you, and I would say that's probably due to the high prices, maybe more than anything you think? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Is there even any market at all for coon? Up there where you are? Not I I I'm one of the guys that don't want to waste anything. So we, we would shoot out a few coon last year and we skinned and scraped them and I think we averaged around four dollars for well, skin and scraped coon. And that was just the nice ones, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So there wasn't it wasn't worth it, but it was what it is. Well, and for guys like me, that was always part of the fun of it. You know, I lived in Michigan. I never was a hide hunter. But mm-hmm. when season came in, I carried the rifle, you know. Yeah. I won't tell you that I carried it when the season wasn't in. Now, I can't I can't admit it to that on the podcast, but <laughs> but I did carry the rifle when the season was in and and I enjoyed that, you know. I would just roll up my fur, I'd case skin them out in the woods and and uh, I didn't have a source for uh, meat for somebody to buy it. The, the, the uh, guys that coon hunted closer to the cities like Detroit and Flint and so forth, they had a market for the meat. And uh, I really didn't have that, but I, I felt like I, I probably contributed to that coyote population and so forth. But I would roll the pelts up and put them in a deep freeze. And then uh-huh. at the end of the year, uh, when it iced in and the snows came and all, I'd get those out and thaw them out and make my trip down to your state in the northern part there around Middlebury, the Amish country, and uh, go see the buyer. And uh-huh. I know the last few years that I was doing that up there, I was averaging about eight bucks. Uh, you know, I've certainly sold some for more than that and some for less, but that would be about the average the last few mm-hmm. years I sold fur up there. So if you're getting four bucks now, you're probably not doing all that bad. No, it just is. They didn't. I mean, now they wouldn't, if it wasn't a big one, they won't, you won't buy it though. You know yeah. what I mean? It just, yeah, I gotcha. Well, uh, so you you definitely think that the number of coon hunters has decreased. Do are the farmers in your area uh, complaining about coon damage? Have you got not as many of these coons getting killed? Not, they don't really. But 
I mean, some everybody has sweet corn always complains about them, yeah. but uh, but the actual the farmers on the corn, not really. But I think the coon are doing quite a bit of damage, but they they blame it on the deer. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, because yeah. you you can tell the difference. But some sure. a lot of farmers they see corn knocked down its deer. You know, yeah, it seems. yeah. And they don't realize that coon will climb that stalk, maybe mm-hmm. eat half a ear, break yeah. it all over, and then go yeah. to the next one. But yeah, I, one of the craziest things I saw my brother a couple of years ago took me into an area there in southwest Virginia where he lives, and uh, some cornfields, and it was surrounded by mountains there. And the bear had worked on that corn it was incredible it looked like you run a combine around the edges of those cornfields i mean they they picked it down to the ground Uh. (laughs) those bear really like that corn yeah but you don't have any bear in your party no no yeah well uh what is the hunting territory like there where where you hunt for guys that, that haven't ever been there for the for the most part we hunt just little wood lots a lot of them are you know from 10 acres if you there's a few patches that might be 60 70 acres which is big for around here and uh then we got a there's a river bottom that runs up through here so you got some some continuous timber you know all the way along it for good stretches but for the most part you're just hitting little patch woods and fence rows there's a few fences left. They're pretty good. Ditch banks, whatnot. Yeah, if you get a ditch down through there and along those those fence rows, that's always a good place, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I had some of those up in Michigan, and our our hunting was pretty much the same. I had small patches. What would you say is the average size cornfield up there in Indiana? Uh, how, all right. How many acres would that be? Right where we are, I would guess the average fields are probably 40, 50 acres. But if you went mm-hmm. if you went west from where I live, like not even like 10 mile, and it hits what I call prairie, and then you're talking hundreds and hundreds of continuous yeah. acres everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, talking about corn, and it's that time of year when the corn's coming in. Now, when Ella and I drove up to New Jersey about a month ago and went through South Carolina and I'm in some back highways, as she says, taking the scenic route, and uh, saw a lot of cornfields, and I didn't really think about South Carolina being a big corn-growing state. But their corn was in, you know, it was, uh, sweet corn was in and so forth. And we've had, you know, here in Florida, of course it is. I think they, we get a couple different crops a year down uh-huh. here. But um, do, the corn, do the coon hit that corn pretty good when it first uh, comes on and roasting near time? Or, or mm. is it more later in the year? When do you see most of the activity around the corn? I think it's right when it's milking, usually. Yeah. When they, it's the sweetest part for them is when they yeah. usually hit it. Yeah, and that's uh, right b- as the as the kernels are forming, right? Yeah, the kernels are just forming. It's, it, it, it's probably the closest regular field corn, but taste of sweet corn. Yeah. I'd say that's when they're, that's when they're hitting right. it. Right, 
Right. And then I found uh, in Michigan, uh, coming out of West Virginia, you know, we rarely hunted a cornfield. You might have a little old three or four acre cornfield somebody would have uh, if they could find a flat place enough. You know, that was usually mm-hmm. on a hillside. But in Michigan, you know, uh, up there, uh, uh, we hunted around the cornfield some. But we would find that the coon would not really eat that hard corn until everything else was gone in later in the winter. Do you find yeah. that the way? Uh, uh, I, I would say are? so. When, it, when mm-hmm. it gets cold, they'll be out there eating, you know, regular corn on the ground after yeah. the harvest. Right. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, after hard freezes and so forth, you might drive around on a uh, afternoon. Maybe you had a kind of a little bit of a a sunny afternoon or something. You drive around, and you look out in a cut over cornfield. Of course, they'd been harvested way back, I guess, in November or late October. And there would be deer, turkeys, coons, possums. <laughs> yeah, everything out there, you know, pecking around trying to find that that corn. But that's. Uh, uh, I guess the key to coon hunting for me was always knowing what the coons eating at mm-hmm. what, what time of year. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of wild cherry in your? Country? We've got quite a, quite a few cherries, uh, a lot of mulberries. You know that time of year they really mm-hmm. pound. Yeah, wow. yeah. I always remember in Michigan the mulberries would be along the roads, and you'd see this black spot in the on the highway, like. Just where the mulberries had fell in the cars and mashed them, you know. Mm-hmm. And you could drive around a mile square up there, and and that time of year, and when kittens are down and so forth. Now let me make sure I'm right here. Kittens should be down during mulberry time, right? Or is mulberry? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and you would find. On each side of that four, or that mile square section, you find a coon, you know, uh, that had been hit by a car. It mm-hmm. might be a whole litter of kittens. That used to really make me sick when I'd see that, <laughs> you know. But, uh, well, that's what it's like to live in a coon zoo, folks. Uh, you go up there and, uh, and hunt in that part of the country, and many of you will get to hunt some of that kind of Hunting, if you go to Autumn Oaks here on Labor Day weekend. Um, what uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about your uh, uh, choice of being more of a pleasure hunter than a competition hunter. Any particular reason why that you've chosen not to enter the competition hunts? I I just I enjoy coon hunting. Always we've always been like more of a hide hunter and just never never really got into the competition hunter. Yeah. And uh if I made my mind here the last couple dogs, the next good dog I get, if I get one, I'll start hunting the competition. But I went with guys a few times and and guided for guys up here a few times, but never actually hunted in one. Yeah. Well, I have this conversation with my friend Keston Jesse and he lives there in, in Farm country, it actually, it's mountain farming. I mean, it's mainly beef cattle, some dairy cattle. Uh, and he hunts those farms and not very many cornfields. Uh, but uh, he has not 
been bitten by the competition bug either. He loves to coon hunt and hunts almost every night. And uh, and my other buddy, Mark Miller's always uh, ragging on him for not <laughs> going to the hunts, you know. Hey, I heard him driving hours, you know. If you up here, there's, I bet we've got five coon clubs within 45 minutes or so. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it, man? When you can do that, you can get out there and hunt about every night. Oh. And we're trying to keep our dog in this PKC plot race, and you know we just don't have a have a, you know any uh, uh, hunts. You know no. they just they're sporadic. You know, and uh, I just got a text. Uh, uh, from Mark there just now came in on the phone. You may have heard it. He said it's practice time. That means he's getting ready to hit the woods. And uh, But, uh, well, so, and I, I get it because I, I was by necessity more of a pleasure hunter all the years than competition hunting because my job was working the hunts and so forth with the registries. So I hunted about every night I could, and I had great hunting there in Michigan, especially. But do you are you finding yourself enjoying coon hunting more as as, as you get a little older? You're not an old man by any stretch, but or, or any less, or about the same. I'd say about the same. Yeah, it's it, uh, when we were younger, we seemed like there were a lot more guys, bunch of my buddies. It seemed like every. Every night would be over here, you know, go as a big group, and and, and that's kind yeah. of really that's really cut down. But there's about about two buddies of mine still hunt a lot that we usually try hunting together yeah. quite a bit. Well, I don't want to pick on him too much, but I'm talking about Keston a lot here. But he has that problem of having somebody to hunt with, you know, where he lives, mm-hmm. and uh, he's. You know, even thought about maybe trying to start a club that can invite some hunters in, you know, to to get uh, more people involved around. Because, you know, we do enjoy hunting. If we got a young dog, it's great to solo them out and see what they'll do. And I always enjoyed hunting by myself, but I do enjoy hunting with my friends, too, you know. A couple, the one buddy, the older, older gentleman, he hunts. A lot harder than I do. I know that he don't he don't miss too many nights year round. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's good. I just wonder, you know. There's no way to tell uh, just how many pleasure hunters there are out there across the country that just enjoy going and listening to that dog running tree coon, and are not at the night hunt every Friday or Saturday night. I'd say there's still a lot of them, not, not as many as there used to be, I'm sure. But There's still quite a few, I think. Yeah. Well, okay, getting to a little bit more serious subject here, and we're getting closing in on that hour, Troy. As a farmer, what do you see as the main, and a hunter, farmer and a hunter, what do you see as the main problem involving hunters and landowners, maybe in your area or, or what you see around the country? Uh, I, I Right around here, I've got a real good – I mean, I grew up here. I got a good relationship with, you know, about everybody. And our biggest issue is more the deer – the deer hunters leasing ground more than anything. It's just – that's our biggest 
hunting problem there is anymore. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, even even after they got at least the, the farmers will tell us to hunt it, and then these guys get mad. And it's just that would probably be the the yeah. biggest issue of anything. One of the last things that I did from a legislative standpoint when I was with PKC was uh, at the invitation of the Illinois State Coon Hunters Association, Chris Waller was the president at that time, invited me to come down to Springfield and, and appear before the game commission there. And they were facing this issue in Illinois because the, the game department was urging the landowners to lease their property to deer hunters from out of state. And the idea was this will bring, uh, you know, commerce in, in. bring the money in. It'll, It'll help you pay your tax burden every year on your property. And they had it all. They were hard selling it to the farmers. And, of course, the coon hunters realized that you know, that's going to be detrimental to our sport if everybody out here is leasing their land. And it is a big problem, Troy. And we were able to do an economic impact study. Uh, and we came in, you know, we we accounted for every penny that we possibly could that coon hunters would spend in the state of Illinois. And at that time, that was, uh, let's see, that was in the early 2000s. I'm going to say around 2002 or three, we figured that coon hunting, the economic impact in the state of Illinois was over $50 million. Uh, and that was counting everything, vet bills, dog food, entry fees, gasoline, uh-huh. snacks at the convenience store, uh, hunting equipment, vehicles, the whole nine yards. But it is a big problem everywhere. It's a problem in the South, you know, down here where I live. I can buy into a hunting lease, but they don't want me to hunt at the only time of year that I can really enjoy it, and that's in the wintertime well, because it's deer season, you know. We you know, we, we got enough ground that we own or whatever or, you know, that's not leased that we, we hunt it real hard like through deer season when we're yeah. coon hunting, and then – most of them guys, even at least to ground, you know, after deer season, we can get in on quite a bit more ground. Well, let so. me ask you a tough question. I know I participated in a, a deer study in South Carolina with the department down there, Weyerhaeuser Timber Company. We collared a th- hundred deer uh, with telemetry collars. We had uh, grad students from Clemson University collecting the data, all of that to determine whether or not hound hunting affected the movement of deer and turkeys in South Carolina. Now, you just talked earlier in the podcast about killing this big buck, and you worked him through bow season and through uh, hunting season, game season. How would you have felt if somebody ran hounds in that, where you were working that dog, that buck? Uh, uh- Long as the dogs don't run deer, when you're coon hunting, I can't see it. I'm out coon hunting woods, and and I have no problem deer hunting the next morning. And I can I 
I have never really told any difference. I mean, I yeah, I don't think it bothers them one bit. Yeah. Well, you know, we see those of us who hunt see, you know, the deer sometimes standing out there listening yeah. to the dogs within sight of the tree. Yeah. And that's what the story I mean, the study revealed, you know, that it was there was no effect. But to sell that to a deer hunter is a hard sell. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I truly believe it don't it don't bother them at all or if so it's so mm-hmm. minuscule it don't matter you're right exactly D- would you have any advice for a guy i get this quite a bit from young hunters that are coming in or perhaps some of them are not so hun- young but their kids have grown up now and balls over and all of the things and they're looking perhaps they coon hunted a little bit when they were younger or they just found it interesting through the internet and they want to start coon hunting. Uh, what approach would you recommend somebody like that to have with a landowner to go get permission to hunt on his land? I, I probably the best time to do it. I do it in the summertime, you know, before everybody else hunting and, and at least see if he let you hunt in the summer or whatever. And if you seem like do a good job, usually they ain't going to have, mind you hunting later in the year either i think that's a good idea it's a good suggestion go when the pressure's off when they're not you know i had a lot of farmers uh over the years especially in michigan i'd I'd knock on the door and and i introduce myself i'd usually go maybe on a sunday afternoon clean up a little bit wash my truck pull up in the driveway and and i'd say Pardon? Don't show up. Don't show up like the right when you're ready to hunt with your dogs barking. You know what I <laughs> exactly. mean? Exactly. Or guys pull up in the guy's lot at four, uh, 10 o'clock at night with shining, a headlight shining through the guy's bedroom window and asking, hey, can I go back here and turn loose in your back 40? You know? Yeah. That, that. But anyway, I would go to these farmers or landowners and I'd say, that, you know, I'd like to hunt your property. You know, you've got a nice woods back there. It would be just ideal. Oh, well, you know, my son lives in town, and he and his friends like to deer hunt, and they come out and they hunt. And so, or I've got a buddy, you know. that I said, well, I'm not, I, I should clarify, I'm not interested in your deer. Uh, my dogs don't chase deer, and I'm, I have no interest in them whatsoever. I just want to uh, treat some coons coons you hunt coons come in here and let me pour you a cup of coffee and i want to tell you how many coons i had to kill in my barn last year i had one farmer tell me that he drowned i don't recommend this and i'm not going to tell you who it was in fact he's passed on but he drowned 40 some coons in a in a barrel in his barn one year up there Uh. And I said, man, you did. And, and I could go in there and treat coons every night, well, you know. So, uh, well. We're getting a few people around here that like turkey hunting and the coons, you know, they're getting more and more coons. And, and they're mm-hmm. really, after deer season, they're they're wanting you to come in and shoot a lot of coons just to yeah. try to help the turkeys here seems yeah. like last few years well i know there was quite a row on the internet you know with when some of these uh raccoon hunts uh were held out in missouri 
and uh, I don't know if you saw that or not. But I, were, I think I did. Just yeah, trying to really wipe, wipe, yeah. wipe the population out. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, you know, we need to conserve, uh, but we also need to. Uh, when you talk about twenty coons seeing there on one night hunting and and all, you know, distemper will come in there and and take care of that. Yeah. If the hunters don't, so it's a delicate balance. But uh, you know, we want to take care of the resource. We want to be good stewards of the resource. Uh, you know, but but we also uh, know that they have to be harvested, and well, that's all part of their welfare. And I wish I we could just get the general population to. <laughs> Maybe you can just sustain it uh, where you want it. Right. Well, okay. We've talked a little bit about autumn oaks, and uh, we're going to wind this thing down. Troy, are you going this year? I I I probably slide down there one day, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I hope to see you down there, and uh, I might. Keston and I may have to impose on you to give a ride for that. That dog from up there in your part of the country. Right. But uh, I always enjoy talking to you. I enjoy your texts and messages and phone calls. And I know you've been participating in this little wheel of name spin that we do. I I, I must be the unluckiest guy on it, too. (laughs) No, there's a few more in there that haven't hit it yet anyway. uh, uh, If you're out there listening to the podcast for the first time, guys, we do a a question of the week posted on Facebook on my personal uh, page, Stephen F. Fielder. And uh, we ask you a question taken from the weekly episode. And if you know the answer, you private message it to me. And if you're right, we put you ne- your name on the wheel of names, and we do a spin every Monday night at 6.30. And uh, the prize has been a Zep Lifetime Coon Squaller. It's a $30 unit with three reeds, a, a, a metal casing, a nice lanyard on it, made by Mark Zep. You can get them uh, if you if you don't feel lucky, like Troy. There, you can buy one at markzep.com. Uh, we also have a, a "Gone to the Dogs" podcast sticker and a nice lanyard from our friends out at W Hunting Supply who make this podcast possible. Want to send a belated birthday wish out to the boss man Buddy Woodbury, who's the the uh, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer out there at W Supply. Happy birthday, buddy. Hope you had a great day. Also, congratulations to Jason Doobie, buddy's right-hand man. He and his wife, Danny, have a new baby, uh, a baby girl. And they also have uh, a a new baby that's going to keep them up nights. I know they are the new owners of Full Cry Magazine. And Full Cry, uh, as you know, if you've been paying attention, Full Cry and American Cooner were published by CNH Publishing Company. Terry Walker has uh, has uh, ceased to uh, print those magazines. They're still doing the Hunter's Horn Foxhound magazine. But uh, at any rate, 
Look for Full Cry. You can. Uh, they have a Facebook page. You can check them out, Google it, and uh, buy a subscription. Help those folks out. They're going to uh, bring us a good magazine. All right, Troy, I'm going to let you go. I don't know whether you're going to look for the air conditioner or look for a place to turn those plots loose tonight, but uh, I know I'm going to go watch an Astros ball game. <laughs> oh, man, they got old Verlander. Watch out. That's right, man. You got can't the stop big them now. Big news today. Uh, Justin Verlander is going back to the Astros, and we're happy about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I we became Astros fans uh, about three years ago. Just a, such an exciting young team to watch. And, uh, of course, we love our Tampa Bay Rays down here, too. So, all right, Troy Hoffman, I appreciate so much you being with me tonight and uh, really uh, had a good conversation, I thought. Is there anything that we should add that we haven't talked about? Well, I think we pretty much hit what we was looking for. <laughs> well, I hope that you and I both have got good news about these pups that we're trying to train. And, uh, uh, hope so. Yeah, we're going to be hunting fever at Autumn Oaks, so let's hope he does all right uh, up there. And uh, that pup has been pretty pretty fun. He's, he's 21 months old right now, so uh, he's still... He's still learning, but uh, we're still hopeful. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Troy Hoffman from Winnemac, Indiana, up in the Coon Zoo has been our guest tonight. We really appreciate him. If anybody asks you where Steve Fielder these days, tell him he's in the air conditioning, man. He ain't gone to the dogs. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you later, folks. Have a great week. (laughs) 